Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2018. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 3, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel and Valtteri Bottas were locked in a strategic duel two-thirds of the way into the race when a lap 40 safety car handed the advantage to the Finn. But a puncture with two laps remaining sent Bottas into retirement, and with Vettel out of the picture with a flat spot, Lewis Hamilton cruised to what he described as an undeserving victory. Well done, Baku. To look back on the chaotic Azerbaijan Grand Prix, I'm joined by Chris Medlin from RaceUp. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Really good, considering that, yes, the hype train delivered for the second year in a row for Azerbaijan. We got another, well, really exciting Grand Prix with another probably unexpected winner in Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, it's strange to call Lewis an unexpected winner, Mm. isn't it? But he definitely was. Um, Yeah, Baku just, it promised so much in 2016 (laughs) and then definitely failed to deliver that year. But uh, since then, I think everyone has really sort of grown to attack the circuit and take it on and it is a challenging track and it just seems to throw up these crazy races where I think maybe some incidents that we get in it wouldn't normally cause such chaos but because it's a a street track and still so fast we get some uh, some crazy results so yeah it was uh it was an exciting one it was certainly one that I think uh will have caught the attention of a lot of people if they weren't really taken by the season yet but uh yeah three winners in four races as well it's really opened things up i'm always worried when we get to these sort of tracks it doesn't have a lot of history but there's always a lot of hype around us having a good race but i suppose as lewis said before the race and maybe this was a little bit forecasting what would be his own success although he didn't actually have to overtake anyone on his uh easy to overtake meter that he's been bringing to every race this is the fifth easiest track to overtake on apparently so i suppose that already sets it up yeah it's um it's the long straight isn't it it's what 2.1 kilometers mm. i know it's not a straight there's plenty of kinks <laughs> in it but they're flat out for so long that the slipstream is huge so it doesn't matter if you've dropped a long way back uh, earlier in the lap you 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 get pulled back in by the car in front so um yeah there's there's quite a big window where we talk about cars being tough to follow in formula one but this track seems to almost negate that issue by having such a long long straight that that pulls them together and uh yeah, it's it's wide enough. There's a big braking zone in the turn one, and it's a difficult one. So that uh, that opens things up, and and just the fact that it was a, a street circuit is dusty and tricky, and that means people make mistakes. So nobody could, I think, really. Valtteri Bottas was the only guy who could turn around yesterday and say he didn't make a mistake all day, mm-hmm. um, and that should have resulted in a win, I guess. But uh, yeah, for for anyone else, they all had moments they could point to where they did something wrong and, and that normally means that they're going to lose a position or or something's going to go wrong in their race. Now you talk about the conditions and this was really an overarching theme for the entire Grand Prix. Yes, the dustiness and usual lack of grip conditions for a street circuit that is of course only used once a year but wind was really high on the, the talking point agenda this weekend, even usurping that fun fact that this is the only Grand Prix below sea level or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, how bad was it? You were there on the ground. Was it as, was it as terrifying as everyone was making it out certainly we saw some cars come uh, into trouble and almost crash even on the formation line yeah it was actually really really windy um i was in uh, a commentary box for all the sessions and that was getting sort of shaken around quite a lot (laughs) um but it was more the gusts so every now and then you would you'd you'd stop noticing it and then you'd hear a bit of a sort of bang as just a, a wall of wind hit the windows and um yeah it was it was you, you were looking out at the at the flags and they were you know completely horizontal and and flat out really really windy and you you could see that it was going to be a, a challenge out there for the drivers but 
that's why they'd have paid the big bucks you know it's uh, to be fair i think it's it's rare we go to any venue and it's completely still mm. um there's normally a, a degree of wind it was just that this was much more severe and the sort of nature of the fact that yeah the final section that's flat out was uh, next to the coast but inside that you had buildings that was channeling the wind so creating different kind of uh, angles and directions it was just all quite unpredictable but I, I thought it was great it was a it was a bit of a strange phenomenon because obviously people watching at home on television can't physically see it so they see a car struggling and it's not like you can see rain on the track or um or similar so it's it just you can see the the result of the wind that it's affecting the cars but you can't actually see the wind itself so it's quite strange but yeah added an extra challenge i liked it mm, an extra dimension i guess we're not used to in formula one and i suppose that plays into a certain degree although who's to say whether it's always this windy at this time of year in baku but this race was run two months earlier than it normally is and the the more major effect that had was that it was quite cool on the weekend as well uh, and that really had an effect on the tyres which ended up of course having an effect on the way the strategies played out uh, even the ultra soft which is you know nominally the coolest weather tyre as the softest tyre that was brought to, to this race really struggled with graining and so we had this situation where um, it seemed like it was going to be more favourable to run most of the race on the super soft and to that effect we saw Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari try to start the race on super soft in Q2 but unfortunately that win that you mentioned prevented Kimi Raikkonen from doing so so we should have had this interesting strategic variation for the start of the race uh do you feel like that that could have and this is always one of those great hypothetical questions because everything changed on lap one but do you feel like that could have really created a different bit of tension given Raikkonen and Vettel would have been on different strategies yeah before the race started I was uh, I was pointing that out in like a pre-race spotters guide <laughs> that uh Kimi could be the key to it and that if if he in my head like you say you're thinking of well if everything goes cleanly this will happen and it was that I saw Kimi in, in sixth staying in sixth but staying with the pace of the five in front and then needing to pit first so he would just trigger everyone else's reactions and that they'd all be based on the pace we'd seen over the weekend and also at the first three races I thought they'd all be within striking distance of each other or at least fairly close and and everyone would have to react so you'd have if Seb was leading and Kimi was sixth, there was a chance that Kimi pits and then the two Red Bulls in front of him had to pit and then the two Mercedes in front of him had to pit and then Seb was last and he might get undercut by somebody. So they, it was going to be tricky because um, basically three drivers at least were going to lose out in that scenario. But then uh, typically for Baku and typically for Kimi, when there was a, when there was a lot of promise there, there seemed to be... Um, it all sort of went away on the first lap and yeah he had that contact with Ocon and we never quite got to see it play out but I mean the tyres really struggled because the same with the sort of overtaking effect you have into turn one but it's such a long run mm. from I think it's turn 16 where they're flat out and okay there's two kinks that are fairly high speed early but then I th- it's something like 30 seconds that they're flat out for very yeah. very close to and the tyres cool down so they get really cold and um, and that then means they hit the brakes for turn one struggle there but then they get on the power at turn one with very cold tyres and, and they end up graining so um, yeah, it's just kind of like the characteristics of the track that lead to that and again it's just you know it's different it's something that they don't normally a challenge that drivers don't normally face during uh, the season it's a bit unique and that's why I think it's cool. Do you feel like this could be an opportunity for the Hypersoft tyre to appear next year in Baku? We know these tyres are already two stops softer than they were last year, but to to take them even softer again could help to to spice up the the tyre strategy even more next year. Yeah, I think so. I, the way the race went on uh, on Sunday, the the Supersoft clearly could last too long, 
uh, as a as a kind of um, middle tire. I know the Ultrasoft itself. I think Hartley did twenty one laps on it, something like that. So that was yeah. realistically too long. That that immediately made every, everything a one stop. But you had to accept the the drive. The the teams didn't know that for certain before we got into Sunday. So you still had a degree of difference. I think we had. I think it was Hartley and uh, Grosjean at the back of the field both started on the softs to try something different, and then most people went for the super soft. But there was still some ultra softs, so you, you had some variety. Um, I think if we came next year with the same tyres, everyone would be well. This is a nailed on one stop. We all want to get on this tyre at the start and then change to this tyre on this lap and it would be dull. So, yeah, I think um, Pirelli would have to bring uh, the Hypersoft next year. If uh, Well, that's assuming they've got just the Hypersoft. I'm sure by then we'll have another two or three even <laughs> even softer compounds where, where Pirelli's biggest challenge is just coming up with a name for it. Mm, there are enough colours. We need a Pantone chart to start analysing <laughs> what we're going to start colouring them all at that point. Maybe we can make a transparent one somehow. That'd be very exciting, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be cool. We should get one that, that changes colour with heat, <laughs> you know, whether it's cold or hot. Just like giant mood bracelets on all of Ex- the tyres. <laughs> yeah. So whoever's got the most tyre life left has got the, the brightest coloured tyre. Oh, you could be on to something. It gives the driver something to look at as well. Yeah. Oh, oh I tell you. Have a chat to Liberty about this one. This is innovation right here. All for the show. <laughs> All for the show. Pirelli previewed before the race that the super soft tyre, because it was lasting so well, would be the tyre to start on, or at very minimum that they suggested the ultra soft was not an ideal starting tyre. And all of a sudden, for those who were forced to start on the ultra soft, those in the top 10 who needed the ultra soft to qualify in the top 10, had this opportunity because there was a lap one safety car caused by, I guess, what we perhaps will start calling the standard lap one collisions in (laughs) Baku. Uh, some drivers, of course, didn't really get much of a choice because they had crashed. Kimi Raikkonen being one of them. Sergio Perez also picked up some damage. But this transferred them onto what transpired to be actually quite a good strategy. And we're going to uh, analyse a little bit later Carlos Sainz versus Sergio Perez because they were on a similar place on the track at that point but ended up in relatively different positions by the time we got to the end of the race. But that safety car ultimately played a role. But the middle part after that safety goal, between the two safety cars I suppose everything sort of was just going at its own pace wasn't it we had this race unfolding between the top three Lewis Hamilton was struggling a little bit with his tyres and then counted himself out by stopping a little bit early on lap 22 but what really became interesting was this sort of showdown we had between Vettel and Bottas where neither of them really wanted to pit it almost seemed like yeah I was certain that Bottas uh, sorry that Vettel was going to try and run long enough to put on the ultra soft and go to the end because he'd gone so far into the race and um, and his pace was still quite good and that felt like he was covering off the potential for Bottas to do anything differently to him um, or anything that was potentially quicker and that, as you say Lewis had backed himself into a corner making that mistake uh, locking up and damaging his tyres and having to pit earlier so I, I felt like you know Ferrari should have been focused on Bottas at that point but maybe perhaps when we criticised him for completely ignoring Raikkonen and what he can do um, that they were doing the same with Bottas because when Seb came in I think there was 20 laps to go 21 laps mm-hmm. to go somewhere in that region and, and they stuck on the soft and I'm thinking you've, you've done longer stint on the super soft already we've seen a Toro Rosso do this long on the ultra soft and the track's getting better and there's still a chance that you get something like a safety car which means the tyres won't have to do that whole run at, at full speed but you will be able to come in and pit then anyway if you want to if you feel like they're not going to sort of survive to the end and 
the fact as you say with the weather it being cooler the warm-up was going to be easier on the ultra soft it just all made sense so I was really surprised to see Vettel then just do what Hamilton had done um, for such a short run and that really opened the door then then Bottas um, and Mercedes who had been I think probably watching what Vettel was doing and and trying to force him into something uh, out of the ordinary thought right doors open here and um, yeah Bottas was just was excellent towards the end of that stint on the super softs the, the times he was pulling and that was when you could see the difference I think Bottas was setting fastest laps and extending that lead even though Vettel was on new tyres but they were softs so um, yeah that, that that surprised me and I think Red Bull were doing the same all four of them obviously were hoping for a safety car that gave them a free stop and and uh, and they just would all walk to the end basically but um, it was Bottas at for for a while anyway profited from that I, I like that you mentioned there the idea that Ferrari perhaps discounted Valtteri Bottas because it's been a, a something of a trend in Bottas's Mercedes career that on days when the Mercedes doesn't have natural pace where they're struggling a little bit to extract what I suppose we're saying at this point of the year uh, is the, the maximum potential of that car he seems to outperform Lewis Hamilton that was the case again this weekend where you know the car struggled a lot on Friday and they managed to find some more pace in time for qualifying on Saturday but then in the race it wasn't quite as together as Ferrari and Bottas was the one who shone through there do you think that underrates him a little bit the fact that he seems to be able to maybe drive around the Mercedes when it's not performing at its best yeah I do I think more because last year it seemed that he struggled with that at at one spell and yeah they said the car was a diva it started last year this is they they started with a difficult car and Bottas looked pretty good I mean he he took pole in Bahrain one in Russia he was really in the in the frame and then obviously had the retirement in Spain that put him immediately uh, a a long way adrift of Lewis and suddenly then in that dynamic of that team you're going to struggle to get kind of enough backing from the team to get back there but also just from yourself to believe you're going to turn that around in your in your first season with Mercedes and then Lewis came alive in the middle part of the year as the car improved and I mean there's no doubting Lewis was excellent to go on and win the title but yeah Valtteri had shown that you know if everything's not perfect he was dealing with it better at spells and this year has started very similarly um, we never really saw what he could do in, in Melbourne because of his crash in, in Q3 and, and then you're just starting out position and it was impossible to overtake there but since then I've been really impressed with him and he was devastated yesterday um, as as the whole team were around him that that, that was you know he should have won China he was mm. yeah, the best driver on the day he'd, he'd pulled out a brilliant lap to jump Seb and I think he was pretty confident he'd done it before that he was going to do it again and, and under pressure hold Seb off um, and that didn't happen so he did well to pick himself up come here produce another brilliant performance that suddenly looked like it was you know there was still some luck that safety car meant he got the free stop but even without it he was gonna pit put on the ultra soft be within 10 seconds I think of Vettel um, easily within 10 seconds and and be attacking him towards the end of the race and it was easy to overtake there so I, I think he would have got it done and he knew that he'd done nothing wrong and then it fell away from him again and people are talking about Lewis Hamilton winning a race mm. Lewis now leads the championship and has a big advantage over Valtteri and and it's you know it's the bridesmaid situation again and I think people did notice you know that there's there's no doubt that people are talking about how well Valtteri drove and that he deserved to win but when you look back in 12 months time that will be 
a very, very small side note to whatever happens in the rest of the season. The waiting game for Bottas to try and pull that trigger that would have given him the best chance to win, which was to pit under a safety car, notwithstanding that he might have been able to pull it off on that last in any way, as you said, was really interesting because it was a really obvious way that we were able to see teams try to shape their strategy around the likelihood of a safety car. And I mean, this race, even from Friday, had that vibe where you felt like there would be multiple safety cars. Uh, And it did happen, as luck would have it. Of course, it worked out for him uh, in a relatively high-profile way. It was a Red Bull Racing intra-team crash. I don't feel like I really need to explain it because everyone probably would have seen it, but it's worth talking about because it was, of course, really the defining moment of this race that set off that last 10 laps that decided the order and and allowed Hamilton uh, to win this Grand Prix. There was a lot of fighting between Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen for the entire race, and we know that Red Bull Racing doesn't like to enact team orders, but around this circuit where crashing was such an enormous risk and where the defensive driving from Verstappen and of course we know Daniel Ricciardo's aggressive overtaking strategies really pit them against each other quite closely we saw them rub tyres at one point do you feel like that this should have been a little bit on the team to have prevented this by asking them to I don't even know I mean they say they did ask them to back off and they clearly didn't Uh, I think I mean, we didn't hear every radio message. I think the team needed to have a word with Verstappen, actually, at one point in that race. Because watching it myself, I was it was great that they were allowed to race. I do praise Red Bull for that. Because we've only got 20 cars on the mm. grid. And if every team doesn't let their teammates race each other, there's, there's, there's certain Grand Prix that are going to be so dull when you've got um, something potentially great to go on. And they're two brilliant drivers. So you want to see Verstappen v Ricardo wheel to wheel. But you leave a little bit of margin with your teammate you, or you certainly should and you could see it with the way Ricardo raced Verstappen he did do that uh, certainly early on there was the two times as you mentioned he went running outside of turn one and he left space on the inside of one and the first time I think is when they mm. when they touched and uh, Ricardo had left so much space that he almost got a little bit wide and had to just come back come back a touch uh, away from the wall on the outside um, but Verstappen was going to race him as hard as he was racing anyone and was trying to squeeze him out there a bit so they touched the next time the same the same thing happened and they just avoided contact and um, by the third time you noticed that Daniel went later on the brakes but cut in tighter even though he was on the outside of turn one to not leave a car space or not leave enough of one basically to say to Max you know, I've, I've been decent enough twice now and you've nearly stuck me in the wall like you're not even going to get the chance to do it this time and I felt that was on Verstappen for for racing as hard as you would anyone else and we're talking tiny tiny percentages I'm not saying that you you say after you by any stretch um, because there's always a lot of needle in intra-team fights but you do just need to give it that tiny little bit more and I felt Max wasn't doing that but that was then on Red Bull you know they're going to heat the race and he's a racing driver he, you would you would push it hard and the team should have then gone to him that was a little bit much you know don't do that again so when Daniel came around the next time that he because he could race him differently then as well he, you know maybe he would give him the inside line because he thinks he'd get him on the exit or whatever um, so I do feel that yeah Max needed a little bit of a message uh, in that scenario because then it led to Daniel being more aggressive with the next move and then speaking to Daniel after the race, he said that he found the outside was not a place he wanted to be because of how close to crashing they'd been twice. He said he kept seeing the wall coming at him and he was getting forced out there. Uh, so that's why he decided he was going to try and uh, double bluff him and get to the inside. So you shouldn't feel in danger from your teammate. And it seemed that Daniel did. And that's why then he, he changed his approach 
and uh, and we got the incident that we got but I I liked I want to praise Red Bull to be honest because they let they let them race they let them get to that point and they they didn't call it off um so yeah there's just just a message or two to say just just think of the margins you're leaving each other but good on them for not just panicking completely and going oh they might crash we better stop it <laughs> what it immediately meant was that we had this safety car period where Bottas was able to change those tyres and maintain the lead after the safety car and we had this uh, great moment in lap one where it seemed like the lead was open to almost anybody uh, from Ferrari and Mercedes uh, he took a lunge did Sebastian Vettel down the inside of Valtteri Bottas at turn one he didn't pull it off but I couldn't help but feel like there are all these parallels over the last couple of races when we're talking about overtaking moves into lap one and big braking moves and I like that he sort of said this you know I had to give it a go because you wouldn't want to leave it undone I feel like that's becoming a weird theme so far this year about whether or not drivers make these moves into turn one but I mean do you feel like he still had a couple of laps after that safety car that he had to put it all on the line there given the the power of the slipstream at this at this track um I think but you mentioned the power of the slipstream he had Lewis Hamilton right behind him and Kimi was there too and it was just if you're not the leader you're in you're more likely to get caught up in an incident um and it just the door did open slightly so um I yeah I liked Seb's approach that he it it was risky clearly because it didn't come off and it probably if in the cold light of day you sat down and analyzed the likelihood of him being able to make it stick or not it was unlikely but it wasn't a 0% chance and he suddenly saw that chance and, and just in the in the moment took the opportunity or tried to and I, th- I think that was a really good mindset for him to have because he was leading the championship he was he felt he should have won the race anyway because I think he thought he'd done everything right and he was surprised when Bottas came out ahead of him again because I feel Ferrari hadn't warned him that that's the guy he was racing and um and so he felt right I'm going to have to do it on the track and he just you know it was Valtteri who didn't throw it down the inside from a long way back in Bahrain and I maintain having watched the onboard that that was too far back there was nothing to lose um, because he would have just gone sailing straight on at turn one and rejoined but that I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that was a less than 5% chance that that was ever going to come off if he'd have tried that move in Bahrain Vettel I think had more of a chance here and saw that it was Valtteri and thought if I throw it down the inside he's not going to be overly aggressive just because that's the way Valtteri tends to race um, so he felt he thought well what forgot to lose and, and he backed himself and it didn't quite come off but that's the mindset I want to see from these guys and I think it shows how competitive they know the season's going to mm-hmm. be Vettel couldn't couldn't look to build it like last year when it was him and Lewis and it was you're either your first or your second and, and one of the two is good enough this was if, if you're not winning races and capitalising now there's going to be other races where you might be sixth because the car's just not good enough so um, yeah I, I, I liked what that showed and like you say we've had it a few times this year and um, the drivers seem to be pretty brave uh, and willing to go and take those risks and try and show that they are um, you know they've, they've got the confidence and, and the uh, ability to go and try and pull off these moves because you do have to be brave and late on the brakes with these cars you do have to commit to it and, uh, and that's why I quite like it I, I think it's you know if, if a move comes off it's proper so he went for it he had to and um, yeah good on him 
Vettel eventually dropped to, or he did drop to fifth, which eventually became fourth, though, because what should have then been a Valtteri Bottas win was undone by a puncture on the front straight. Quite a serious one, of course, when you're travelling at 300-odd kilometres per hour. Uh, tyre was completely gone. It ended his race. A very emotional ending for him, but, of course, that did open the door to Lewis Hamilton winning. Behind Hamilton, though, was Kimi Raikkonen, perhaps unlikely given he had a crash on the first lap and had to stop. And in third place, Sergio Perez, his first podium finish since uh, here two years ago in Azerbaijan, formerly the European Grand Prix. Uh, two well-managed races, I suppose, given enormous stints on the soft tyre and also just to keep out of trouble for the rest of the race. I want to compare here, though, we've got Raikkonen and Perez to the fortunes of Romain Grosjean and Carlos Sainz, two drivers who perhaps could have finished in those positions had things gone differently. Let's start with Carlos Sainz, because Renault had terrific pace at the start of the race, of course on that ultra-soft tyre, but Sainz one of those drivers who chose not to stop behind that first lap safety car to ditch onto a super soft or uh, a soft compound tyre. Do you feel like, I mean, this is Renault's best result since they've come back to Formula 1 as a manufacturer, so in that sense, a a good result, notwithstanding the fact that Hülkenberg crashed, but do you feel like there could be a sense here that there could have been more on the table? Yes, because it was Baku and it was crazy, and I think every driver will look at things they could have done better or differently, but I think actually Renault called it right at the time in that yeah, Perez made that stop at the end of the first lap because he had damage. Um, he'd been hit from the rear by uh, Sorokin and that in turn had nudged him into uh, the back of Raikkonen's car in front of him. So he was pretty sure he had rear damage, but it also damaged the front wing and Force India thought that would fail. So they they were kind of forced into their move and I don't think they would have automatically pitted at the end of the first lap with Perez um, if he'd had a clean one, if he'd have been where Carlos was, and you know Carlos was running high because of Ocon then being punted out by Raikkonen, and Raikkonen getting damaged, uh, Carlos was already running um, pretty far forward. So to throw away that track position was it, they Renault didn't need to at that stage. They they had more to lose, and from there I think they raced pretty well. I think the pace, as you say, shown in that first stint while Red Bull was struggling with battery um, sort of. I think it was charging and then and therefore having less deployment um was was impressive but then you could see once red bull got it together that the red bull was the quicker car and carlos just seemed to keep it clean and keep out of trouble but i think you know the car's pace it was the fourth quickest car at times but realistically it was it was fifth quickest the fourth in during qualifying and, and through practice sessions was just a quicker car and Force India's race was compromised by obviously Ocon being out at the start and then Perez needing that pit stop and he was coming through on pace through the field during the race so I, th- I don't think Renault can be too too upset about uh, about missing out on third there because third only happened thanks to Vettel's error um, and again from the Bottas puncture so re- really there was, there was one car that got between them and Perez and Perez had a quicker car uh, during the weekend so I think they were, they were roughly where they should have been you know, may, maybe one position further up if Carlos felt brave against Seb when he was struggling in the final few laps uh, that would have been it but but for me I think um, yeah fifth was a, a solid return it was more Hulkenberg is the one you turn around and look at and second year in a row that he was running fifth on the road in a race that was opening up as having big opportunities and, and he put it in the wall and um, I've I've done an interview with Bob Fernie before where I've asked about Hulkenberg and, and why he's never had that podium and he said you've got to be careful because you get a reputation that when the opportunity arises you, you choke choke wasn't the word he used mm-hmm. to be fair to him but that was you know, the implication that, that you just you miss the opportunity and then each next time one comes up 
you add pressure to yourself that you've missed it before so you better not miss it again and and then it becomes harder to take so um yeah if if i was Renault, my my bigger annoyance was would be the fact that you didn't have both cars running there at the end contrast that though uh the sergio perez podium with romain grosjean who was on the same strategy uh and who was following perez only about four seconds behind him i think behind the safety car uh it would look like it should have been eventually a good weekend for him after he had a pretty rough time of it in qualifying where he's he required a gearbox change uh, in q1 qualified and started last uh again we talk about the conditions that just seem difficult uh the devastation for Romain Grosjean though throwing away what well probably would have ended up being fourth place I suppose uh, possibly even a podium who's to say uh was pretty uh, almost surreal and certainly for Haas considering they've come away from this weekend with no points despite having so far this season a consistently competitive car yeah I think that's one of the things that's starting to build up on Grosjean he's not scored a point yet this year in those four races and he like you say they've been so quick and he's been running so high it's not like he's been ninth or tenth and missed out on one or two um you know they were fourth and fifth i think in australia and, and like you say he was up there again here and for so many spells of that race he was basically shadowing perez that you thought yeah there's there's big points on offer and i was impressed then because he's had a, a pretty disjointed weekend he does obviously struggle on the brakes sometimes and he, he he'd seen a lot of the escape roads uh roman during practice so um, I was I was impressed with the way he was handling it, and then to make such an error. I, I mean, we've seen it every now and then with a with a driver making a mistake behind the safety car, warming their tyres. I mean, Valtteri did it mm. last year in China in the wet. But one, that was in the wet, and two, that didn't put it in the wall. He just he, he lost positions, but it was silly. But for for Roman and his experience, you, you just can't make that mistake, and it was. I, I said on, on commentary that hitting your teammate is, is probably the most stupid thing you can do with the two Red Bull drivers but I said it was a very close <laughs> second what Grosjean did from where he was and um, yeah it was it was in one sense heartbreaking because afterwards you see the disappointment and hear it but he only had himself to blame for that one um, and I think I believe he was in tears after qualifying when he'd had his um, gearbox mm. issue which I don't know if that's because there was more to it than just the gearbox letting him down and maybe there was you know some driver influence and that's why he was so upset but to be sat you know behind a barrier with tears in your eyes after being eliminated in qualifying um, because of a technical issue I, I was surprised by so his his mindset didn't seem quite right from Saturday evening onwards so then um to be in the position he was in was maybe even more impressive but then to throw it away was maybe should have been more expected before we talk about the the driver of the day and wrap this thing up uh, after an impressive race uh, for Sauber of all teams I briefly want to mention Stoffel Van Dorn uh, he had a, a reasonable race as he tends to do these days but there was one particularly clever strategy call that it seems like was on him uh, from the cockpit rather than from the pit wall behind that second safety car uh, he waited to make his final pit stop uh, right before racing resumed because knowing as we've said before how hard tyre warm up is on this circuit he stopped for a new set or it was a used set of ultra soft tyres in any case that had been in their tyre blankets to give himself uh, an advantage in grip in the last couple of laps and I mean that's certainly in this race a level of ingenuity we hadn't seen. Yeah I was I was quite pleased when I saw him come in and do it and I noticed what he was doing it was one of those where the penny dropped and you thought good move and mm. Not only was it because it meant the tyres had been warmer in the blankets, but by pitting then, obviously, the field had moved on a bit and he could go quicker on that lap round to rejoin them. So he was able to get more heat into them out on track as well. So it was a bit of a double whammy and it, and it worked out for him. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, the McLaren was not a particularly competitive car around here. Um, although Alonso did a good job with a damaged one to finish uh, up in the top seven mm-hmm. again. But yeah, that was that was a clever move because nobody else did it and you could see the benefit. As soon as he did it, you suddenly thought, oh yeah, that's why he's done that. Um, so I imagine there was a lot of strategists up and down the pit wall going, ah, we could have done that. <laughs> um, so if you look at some of the guys that were outside the top 10, like Magnussen, Gasly, Ericsson, who had also unlapped themselves, they were able to do a lap at a quicker speed to rejoin the field and they'll have seen the benefit from warming the tyres up a bit more. So yeah, maybe they, maybe a few more of them should have, uh, should have taken that gamble, but they'll remember that for the next time the opportunity presents itself. Mm, I like that slowly we're uncovering all these ideas and eventually we'll get to the point where everyone will know everything about Baku and it'll be boring again. But <laughs> in the time, for the time being, we could enjoy it uh we'll wrap this up uh with a word of course for the man who was voted driver of the day um it's always impressive when it's not max verstappen who gets driver of the day given the location of the voters but charles leclerc who scored his debut f1 points uh and a good points haul for sauber as well in sixth place uh and just an example sort of as we saw with lance stroll last year of a driver keeping his head down and just sort of getting on with it keeping his nose clean which is very impressive for this racetrack in particular seeing how chaotic things are and I think a pretty good race for him in the sense that he's had some messy occasions so far this season he's made those kind of rookie errors that as a rookie he of course would make but I think this kind of drive was really important for him to get together yeah it was it, I mean this is a, a poignant venue for uh, Charles actually because last year he came here and it was less than a week mm, I think after his right. dad had died and and he went and put the thing on pole and dominated the first race and then nearly won the second race as well in Formula 2. Massively impressive weekend from him. And coming back here, you know, he was a name that people knew that had seen last year's Formula 2 race because of how much he stood out. So for him to then go and do it in the Formula 1 race as well was, was hugely impressive. And as you say, it's, it's difficult to, to have a clean race. Um, I guess, yeah, Leclerc is probably the only, only driver aside from Bottas who can reflect on his mm. afternoon and go I, I didn't make any mistakes I didn't do anything wrong um, and there was a point at the restart though I, I spoke to him afterwards and I said you know what did you think then because you were comfortably in the points and you knew you had four laps to sprint to the finish uh, and it probably felt like it could only go wrong you know that that you had to keep it clean for what was going to be a chaotic finish and and he said yeah there was a lot of pressure and then he suddenly went but then I could see cars in front of me I could overtake as well so he was trying to rein himself in to to not overdo it um because of course one of those cars was Vettel and you know this is a Ferrari young driver (laughs) so on the one hand you don't want to screw up Ferrari's uh race and and do something silly but on the other if you go and uh, in a Sauber jump ahead of Sebastian Vettel in the race you're going to look like a hero so he, he had a lot to contend with in that sense and I think he judged it really well and yeah there were big points for Sauber they, you know, they've got a, a good team there that races well and, and seems to create opportunities for itself sometimes and uh, those that opportunity was created and, and Charles certainly took it so really impressive from him because it is only his fourth race like you say he's made a few mistakes and you think it reminds you that he's a rookie and then a performance like that reminds you of why he's in Formula 1 yeah a big race from him and it was a big race in general another unpredictable Azerbaijan Grand Prix a lot of drivers thought they deserved to win it and the one who thought he didn't ended up winning it it was Lewis Hamilton and we all look forward to coming back to Baku next year it's been a pleasure to look back on the race with you Chris thank you very much it was uh, a fun weekend and good to go over it again 
That was Chris Medland from Racer. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Make sure you get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and Twitter. My name's Michael Aminato. You can find me at Michael Aminato on Twitter. And I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the Spanish Grand Prix. Thank you.